Best friendhood. Best friend. 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 You're my best friend. You're my best friend. Best friendhood. Okay, I think I've got it. Yeah, that looks good. That's Jake. And that's Jake. This is just a Jake episode. Surprise. And this is best friendhood. Well, it's his best friend because the other half is missing. Uh, yeah, so like Melissa had talked about in our last episode, um, there's a lot of stuff and things happening again in life as life is wont to do. And so last summer I went to um, Kentucky where my dad lives. And while I was there, I found this really amazing book. Um, literally, it's just called The Norton Book of Friendship. Now, for all of my fellow English majors out there, I'm sure you absolutely will recognize the Norton name. Um, I still have my massive single volume of all of Shakespeare's works, um, the Norton Shakespeare, like third edition or something. So I found this at a used bookstore, which, of course, I just love. And and I talked with the elderly gentleman who's owned the store for like 50 years and it was just delightful it was one of the f- most fun experiences I've had in, in a long time um, so this is where I'm deciding to call this a half episode this is episode 68 and a half 68.5 because there's only half of us here and it's not going to be a real episode there's no topic I just really have loved um, literature and poetry and short stories and essays and now I have this lovely collection of all of those things. So I just wanted to share a small handful of some of my favorites. Um, none of these are our original work, obviously. So credit is where credit is due. Let's start with Inviting a Friend to Supper by Ben Johnson. Tonight, grave sir, both my poor house and I do equally desire your company. Not that we think us worthy such a guest, but that your worth will dignify our feast with those that come, whose grace may make that seem something, which else could hope for no esteem. It is the fair acceptance, sir, creates the entertainment perfect, not the crates. Yet shall you have to rectify your palate, ushering the mutton, with a short-legged hen, if we can get her, full of eggs, and then lemons and wine for sauce. To these a coney is not to be despaired of for our money. And though fowl now be scarce, yet there are clerks. The sky not falling, think we may have some larks. I'll tell you more and lie, so you will come. Of partridge, pheasant, woodcock, of which some may yet be there. And God wit, if we can, gnat and rail and rough too. Howsoe'er my man shall read a piece of Virgil, Tacitus, Livy, or of some better book to us, of which we'll speak our minds amidst our meat, and I'll profess no verses to repeat. To this, if aught appear which I know not of, that will be the pastry, not my paper, show of. Digestive cheese and fruit there sure will be, but that which most doth take my muse and me is a pure cup of rich canary wine, which is the mermaid's now, but shall be mine, of which had Horace or Anacreon tasted, their lives as do their lines till now had lasted. Tobacco, nectar, or the thespian spring are all but Luther's beer to this I sing. 
Of this we will sup free, but moderately, and we will have no poly or parrot by. Nor shall our cups make any guilty men, but at our parting we will be as when we innocently met. No simple word that shall be uttered at our mirthful board shall make us sad next morning or affright the liberty that we'll enjoy tonight. I really enjoy this one. It's Walt Whitman, We Too, How Long We Were Fooled. We too, how long we were fooled, now transmuted, we swiftly escape as nature escapes. We are nature. Long have we been absent, but now we return. We become plants, trunks, foliage, roots, bark. We are bedded in the ground. We are rocks. We are oaks. We grow in the openings side by side. We browse. We are, too, among the wild herds, spontaneous as any. We are two fishes swimming in the sea together. We are what locust blossoms are. We drop scent around lanes, mornings, and evenings. We are also the coarse smut of beasts, vegetables, minerals. We are two predatory hawks. We soar above and look down. We are two resplendent suns. We it is who balance ourselves orbic and stellar we are as two comets. We prowl fanged and four-footed in the woods. We spring on prey. We are two clouds, forenoons and afternoons, driving overhead. We are seas mingling. We are two of those cheerful waves rolling over each other and interwetting each other. We are what the atmosphere is, transparent, receptive, pervious, impervious. We are snow, rain, cold, darkness. We are each product and influence of the globe. We have circled and circled till we have arrived home again, we too. We have voided all but freedom and all but our own joy. This is a fun one. Birds of a Feather by Aesop. A man who was intending to buy an ass took one on trial and placed it along with his own asses at the manger. It turned its back on all of them, save one, the laziest and greediest of the lot. It stood close beside this one and just did nothing, so the man put a halter on it and took it back to its owner who asked if he thought that was giving it a fair trial. I don't want any further trial, he answered. I am quite sure it is like the one that it singled out as a companion. A man's character is judged by that of the friends whose society he takes pleasure in. Really, let's change that to a person's character is judged by that of the friends whose society they take pleasure in. And for a very brief change of pace, here's a poem called Poem by Langston Hughes. I loved my friend. He went away from me. There's nothing more to say. The poem ends soft as it began. I loved my friend. If poetry isn't your cup of tea, then how about some Henry David Thoreau? This is a brief essay from A Week on the Concord and Merrimack Rivers. After years of vain familiarity, some distant gesture or unconscious behavior which we remember speaks to us with more emphasis than the wisest or kindest words. We are sometimes made aware of a kindness long past and realize that there have been times when our friends' thoughts of us 
were of so pure and lofty a character that they passed over us like the winds of heaven unnoticed, when they treated us not as what we were, but as what we aspired to be. There has just reached us, it may be, the nobleness of some such silent behavior not to be forgotten, not to be remembered, and we shudder to think how it fell on us cold, though in some true but tardy hour we endeavor to wipe off these scores. Friendship is evanescent in every person's experience and remembered like heat lightning in past summers. Fair and flitting like a summer cloud, there's always some vapor in the air, no matter how long the drought. There are even April showers. Surely from time to time, for its vestiges never depart, it floats through our atmosphere. It takes place like vegetation in so many materials, because there is such a law, but always without permanent form, though ancient and familiar as the sun and moon, and is sure to come again. The heart is forever inexperienced. They silently gather as by magic, these never-failing, never-quite-deceiving visions, like the bright and fleecy clouds in the calmest and clearest days. The friend is some fair floating isle of palms eluding the mariner in Pacific seas. Many are the dangers to be encountered. Equinoctial gales, equinoctial gales and coral reefs ere he may sail before the constant trades. But who would not sail through mutiny and storm, even over Atlantic waves, to reach the fabulous retreating shores of some continent person? No word is oftener on the lips of people than friendship, and indeed, no thought is more familiar to their aspirations. All people are dreaming of it, and its drama, which is always a tragedy, is enacted daily. It is the secret of the universe. You may thread the town, you may wander the country, and none shall ever speak of it, yet thought is everywhere busy about it. And the idea of what is possible in this respect affects our behavior toward all new men and women and a great many old ones. Nevertheless, I can remember only two or three essays on this subject in all literature. No wonder that the mythology and Arabian Nights and Shakespeare and Scott's novels entertain us. We are poets and fabulers and dramatists and novelists ourselves. We are continually acting a part in a far more interesting drama than any written. We are dreaming that our, our friends are our friends, and that we are our friends' friends. Our actual friends are but distant relations of those to whom we are pledged. We never exchange more than three words with a friend in our lives on that level to which our thoughts and feelings almost habitually rise. One goes forth prepared to say, sweet friends, and the salutation is, damn your eyes. But never mind, faint heart never won true friendship. Oh, my friend, may it come to pass once that when you are my friend, I may be yours. Of what use is the friendliest dispositions even if there are no hours given to friendship, if it is forever postponed to unimportant duties and relations? Friendship is first, friendship last but it is equally impossible to forget our friends and to make them answer to our ideal. When they say farewell, then indeed we begin to keep them company. How often we find ourselves turning our backs on our actual friends that we may go and meet their ideal cousins. I would that I were worthy to be any person's friend. What is commonly honored with the name of friendship is no very profound or powerful instinct, 
People do not, after all, love their friends greatly. I do not often see the farmers made seers and wise to the verge of insanity by their friendship for one another. They are not often transfigured and translated by love in each other's presence. I do not observe them purified, refined, and elevated by the love of a man. If one abates a little the price of his wood, or gives a neighbor his vote at town meeting, or a barrel of apples, or lends him his wagon frequently, it is esteemed a rare instance of friendship. Nor do the farmers' wives lead lives consecrated to friendship. I do not see the pair of farmer friends of either sex prepared to stand against the world. There are only two or three couples in history. To say that a man is your friend means commonly no more than this, that he is not your enemy. Most contemplate only what would be the accidental and trifling advantages of friendship so that the friend can assist in time of need by his substance or his influence or his counsel. But he who, f who, but he who foresees such advantages in this relation proves himself blind to its real advantage or indeed wholly inexperienced in the relation itself. Such services are particular and menial compared with the perpetual and all-embracing service which it is. Even the utmost goodwill and harmony and practical kindness are not sufficient for friendship. For friends do not live in harmony merely, as some say, but in melody. We do not wish for friends to feed and clothe our bodies. Neighbors are kind enough for that. But to do the like office to our spirits. For this few are rich enough. For this few are rich enough, however well disposed they may be. For the most part, we stupidly confound one man with another. The dull distinguish only races or nations or at most classes, but the wise man, individuals. To his friend, a man's peculiar character appears in every feature and in every action, and it is thus drawn out and improved by him. All the abuses which are the object of reform with the philanthropist, the statesman, and the housekeeper are unconsciously amended in the intercourse of friends. A friend is one who incessantly pays us the compliment of expecting from us all the virtues and who can appreciate them in us. It takes two to speak the truth, one to speak and another to hear. How can one treat with magnanimity mere wood and stone? If we dealt only with the false and dishonest, we should at last forget how to speak truth. Only lovers know the value and magnanimity of truth, while traitors prize a cheap honesty and neighbors and acquaintance a cheap civility. In our daily intercourse with men, our nobler faculties are dormant and suffered to rust. None will pay us the compliment to expect nobleness from us. Though we have gold to give, they demand only copper. We ask our neighbor to suffer himself to be dealt with truly sincerely, nobly, but he answers no by his deafness. He does not even hear this prayer. He says practically, I will be content if you treat me as no better than I should be, as deceitful, mean, dishonest, and selfish. For the most part, we are contented so to deal and to be dealt with, and we do not think that for the mass of men there is any truer and nobler relation possible. A man may have good neighbors, so-called, and acquaintances, and even companions, wife, parents, brothers, sisters, children, 
who meet himself and one another on this ground only. The state does not demand justice of its members, but thinks that it succeeds very well with the least degree of it, hardly more than rogues practice, and so do the neighborhood and the family. What is commonly called friendship, even, is only a little more honor among rogues. But sometimes we are said to love another, that is, to stand true. But sometimes we are said to love another, that is, to stand in a true relation to him, so that we give the best to and receive the best from him. Between whom there is hearty truth, there is love, and in proportion to our truthfulness and confidence in one another, our lives are divine and miraculous and answer to our ideal. There are passages of affection in our intercourse with moral men and women such as no prophecy had taught us to expect which transcend our earthly life and anticipate heaven for us. What is this love that may come right into the middle of a prosaic Gofston day equal to any of the gods that discovers a new world, fair and fresh and eternal, occupying the place of the old one, when to the common eye a dust has settled on the universe? Which world cannot else be reached and does not exist? What other words we also... What other words, we may almost ask, are memorable and worthy to be repeated than those which love has inspired? Friendship takes place between those who have an affinity for one another and is a perfectly natural and inevitable response. Friendship takes place between those who have an affinity for one another and is a perfectly natural and inevitable result. No professions nor advances will avail. Even speech at first necessarily has nothing to do with it, but it follows after silence, as the buds in the graft do not put forth into leaves till long after the graft has taken. It is a drama in which the parties have no part to act. We are all musulmans and fatalists in this respect. Impatient and uncertain lovers think that they must say or do something kind whenever they meet. They must never be cold. But they who are friends do not do what they think they must, but what they must. Even their friendship is to some extent but a sublime phenomenon to them. The true and not despairing friend will address his friend in such terms as these. You are the fact in a fiction. You are the truth more strange and admirable than fiction. Consent only to be what you are. I alone will never stand in your way. The friend asks no return, but that his friend will religiously accept and wear and not disgrace his apotheosis of him. They cherish each other's hopes. They are kind to each other's dreams. Though the poet says, "'Tis the preeminence of friendship to impute excellence," yet we can never praise our friend, nor esteem him praiseworthy, nor let him think that he can please us by any behavior or ever treat us well enough. That kindness, which has so good a reputation elsewhere, can least of all consist with this relation, and no such affront can be offered to a friend as a conscious goodwill, a friendliness which is not a necessity of the friend's nature. Confucius said, Never contract friendship with a man who is no better than thyself. It is the merit and preservation of friendship that it takes place on a higher level than the actual characters of the parties would seem to warrant. The rays of light come to us in such a curve that every man whom we meet appears to be taller than he actually is. 
Such foundation has civility. My friend is that one whom I can associate with my choicest thought. There are times when we have had enough even of our friends, when we begin inevitably to profane one another and must withdraw and must withdraw religiously into solitude and silence, the better to prepare ourselves for a loftier intimacy. Silence is the ambrosial night in the intercourse of friends in which their sincerity is recruited and takes deeper root. Friendship is never established as an understood relation. Do you demand that I be less your friend that you may know it? Yet what right have I to think that another cherishes so rare a sentiment in Yet what right have I to think that another cherishes so rare a sentiment for me? It is a miracle which requires constant proofs. It is an exercise of the purest imagination and the rarest faith. It says by a silent but eloquent behavior, I will be so related to thee as thou canst imagine, even so thou mayest believe. I will spend truth, all my wealth, on thee. And the friend responds silently through his nature in life and treats his friend with the same divine courtesy. He knows us literally through thick and thin. He never asks for a sign of love, but can distinguish it by the features which it naturally wears. We never need to stand upon ceremony with him with regard to his visits. Wait not till I invite thee, but observe that I am glad to see thee when thou comest. It would be paying too dear for thy visit to ask for it. Where, where my friend lives, there are all riches and every attraction, and no slight obstacle can keep me from him. The language of friendship is not words, but meanings. It is an intelligence above language. One imagines endless conversations with his friend in which the tongue shall be loosed and thoughts be spoken without hesitancy or end, but the experience is commonly far otherwise. Acquaintances may come and go and have a word ready for every occasion, but what puny word shall he utter whose very breath is thought and meaning? Their relation implies such qualities as the warrior prizes, for it takes a valor to open the hearts of men as well as the gates of castles. It is not an idle sympathy and mutual consolation merely, but a heroic sympathy of aspiration and endeavor. A base friendship is of a narrowing and exclusive tendency, but a noble one is not exclusive. Its very superfluity and dispersed love is the humanity which sweetens society and sympathizes with foreign nations, for though its foundations are private, it is, in effect, a public affair and a public advantage, and the friend, more than the father of a family, deserves well of the state. The only danger in friendship is that it will end. It is a delicate plant, though a native. The least unworthiness, even if it be unknown to oneself, vitiates it. Let the friend know that those faults which he observes in his friend, his own faults attract. There is no rule more invariable than that we are paid for our suspicions by finding what we suspected. By our narrowness and prejudices we say, I will have so much and such of you, my friend, no more. Perhaps there are none charitable, none disinterested, 
none wise, noble, and heroic enough for a true and lasting friendship. I sometimes hear my friends complain finally that I do not appreciate their fineness. I shall not tell them whether I do or not, as if they expected a vote of thanks for every fine thing which they uttered or did. Who knows but it was finely appreciated. It may be that your silence was the finest thing of the two. There are some things which a man never speaks of which are much finer kept silent about. To the highest communications we only lend a silent ear. Our finest relations are not simply kept silent about, but buried under a positive depth of silence never to be revealed. It may be that we are not even yet acquainted. In human intercourse, the tragedy begins not when there is misunderstanding about words, but when silence is not understood. Then there can never be an explanation. What avails it that another loves you if he does not understand you? Such love is a curse. What sort of companions are they who are presuming always that their silence is more expressive than yours? How foolish and inconsiderate and unjust to conduct as if you were the only party aggrieved. Has not your friend always equal ground of complaint? No doubt my friends sometimes speak to me in vain, but they do not know what things I hear which they are not aware that they have spoken. I know that I have frequently disappointed them by not giving them words when they expected them, or such as they expected. Whenever I see my friend, I speak to him. But the expector, the man with the ears, is not he. They will complain, too, that you are hard. O oh, ye that would have the coconut wrong side outwards, when next I weep, I will let you know. They ask for words and deeds when a true relation is word and deed. If they know not of these things, how can they be informed? We often forbear to confess our feelings not from pride, but for fear that we could not continue to love the one who required us to give such proof of our affection. For a companion, I require one who will make an equal demand on me with my own genius. Such a one will always be rightly tolerant. It is death and corrupts good manners to welcome any less than this. I value and trust those who love and praise my aspiration rather than my performance. If you would not stop to look at me, but look whither I am looking and farther, then my education could not dispense with your company. Ignorance and bungling with love are better than wisdom and skill without. There may be courtesy, there may even be temper and wit and talent and sparkling conversation, there may be goodwill even, and yet the humanist and divinest faculties pine for exercise. Our life without love is like smoke and ashes. Our life without love is like smoke and ashes. Men may be pure as alabaster and Parian marble, elegant as a Tuscan vi villa, sublime as Niagara, and yet if there is no milk mingled with the wine at their entertainments, better is the hospitality of Goths and Vandals. My friend is not of some other race or family of men. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. He is my real brother or sister. I see his nature groping yonder so like mine. We do not live far apart. Have not the fates associated us in so many ways? 
It says in the Vishnu Purana, seven paces together is sufficient for the friendship of the virtuous, but thou and I have dwelt together. Is it of no significance that we have so long partaken of the same loaf, drunk at the same fountain, breathed the same air summer and winter, felt the same cold and heat, that the same fruits have been pleased to refresh us both, and we have never had a thought of different fiber the one from the other. But all that can be said of friendship is like botany to flowers. How can the understanding take account of its friendliness? How can the understanding take account of its friendliness? And I have one final thought for you, my dear friends. This was written in the interior cover of the book. To Moni, those friends thou hast and their adoption tried, grapple them to thy soul with hoops of steel. Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 3. You know the drill. Thanks for being here. Remember that you are loved, and you are worth being loved. We love you. Goodbye. Uh, That's how I end it. (laughs)